0: I'm excited to be on your show, and I'm excited to be the first guest appearing live.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the first time. I think it will add another layer uh, to the conversation, right? I mean, Other spaces are nice, but it's good to see face to face, especially in this space where we have, you know, things like looking at artworks, looking at Twitter, but it's not very common to see people, right? Something I'm looking forward to, you know, to talk to people every week but also see their faces, I'm very, very excited about that. And Alex, you just came back from Korea, by right? at NFT Korea, and you told us a bit about that because I saw your blog post and it sounded very, very exciting. How was that trick?
0: Ah, uh, so the blog post can be found on JOIN. Uh, it's called Seoul 2023 Arts and Blockchain Week. And I was inspired I think that after traveling for the last two years across the world to different conferences in the US and Europe, this was a very refreshing experience because I got a chance to meet many new artists and many new project founders and people working on interesting new solutions. It was both the art week there and the blockchain week, so you had a chance to go to fairs like Kiev which was originally established uh, with a focus on Korean galleries and also Free Cell, which is rather new. Um, And so about 90% is international galleries and about 10%, more or less strong, also local galleries showcasing both local and international artists. At the same time, uh, I was invited for NFT Cell hosted uh, by Art Token at the COEX Center, the same center that hosts later Freeze. In the same time, I was connected with Crypto Art Cell for their inaugural conference. So it was a chance to exchange so many ideas and talk about some of the issues that this ecosystem is facing. Had a chance to meet many Korean artists, including DK, and see his show. At the same time, there were many openings at independent galleries like Choi Choi or Uncommon Gallery had an AI exhibition. So the week just flew by in a second and I wanted to commemorate it with my blog that featured both sort of on-chain assets, images behind the scenes, quotes, links to some of the articles that were published in uh, local news about the sort of talks that we were having and make it more immortal (laughs) in the experience. Nice. Yeah, that
1: sounds awesome. And first question I had because you have been to so many events. Uh, I think I've been to a couple, and you're always there. And you you are very well prepared, right? You don't miss, like, important talks. You you are also part of many panels and many of the side parties, the side events. So I was wondering, when you compare the events you have been to in Europe and America to this event that happened in Asia, do you find, like, similarities and differences, is there something that stands out uh, from how things are wrong in Asia compared to Europe or America? What are your thoughts?
0: Oof, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think overall, it's a very professional approach. In Korea, technology is obviously a very big focus. As my hosts were joking, it's sort of the Samsung era right now. So it's the Samsung dynasty because they sort of like overruled so many different things. So some, one of the most major art museums is run by Samsung, some of the major galleries, every event you would attend to had sort of like these translation devices. So the speakers were, were presenting in both Korean and English, but you could understand both. So it would switch to English or Korean, the opposite, depending on the, and. I attended three different talks um, was the NFT sale, crypto art Cell, and then the freeze talks, and they all had that. And I found it incredible to hear from professionals that didn't have to have sort of that language barrier, switching to a foreign language, uh, talk about the local scene in a way that was easily understandable, even with the translation and the translators were going real time. And then I think from like a more subtle and fun angle, Something that my Korean friends pointed out is all the events have food, so food is a very big deal throughout the trip. They would always take us to experience the local cuisine, but also every single event had a very creative like dish they were serving, which made it kind of like more personal and special. I think the quality of the screens, I was in awe of the events that was both of the conferences I spoke at had massive LED displays, but also Crypto Art Cell was hosted in Lightroom, which is a location for immersive events. So the screen was like three floors high, and that was very impressive, especially for experiencing digital arts, it feels like the city is sort of like native to welcome. And obviously they are, they have some of the most pioneering digital artists, they have Nam- Namjoon Pike Museum, who was one of the sort of like the grandfathers of video art. So it's almost like it was meant to be this confluence of arts and tech there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that speaks very well uh, about the organization of those events. I mean, you think about it having translation, it's a big deal, right? It's easy to set up translation real-time translation, and that makes a lot of sense, because I've been to events in France, in Spain, where English is not the native language, also Mexico, and the main language is English, right? But the people that are from those communities, from those cities, uh, probably, I mean, it's not their, their native language, so it's harder for whole space to get to, to the locals, let's call it that way. So I think it's very smart, very smart thing. I wonder if we will see more of that, do you think so? How was the, I mean, the the reaction from the from the audience to these sort of translation and, and what do you think? You think that will be copied and, and replicated across the upcoming events?
0: Um, I sure hope so. You do have to have professional translators because the topics we're talking about, especially blockchain can be a little bit complex. Mm. And for someone to real time translate it in an understandable way is quite impressive. I do think language barrier plays a very big role right now. Most of the platforms we see are in English and I talk to many artists on a day-to-day basis and with some of them, we have to just use Google translate for our conversations, but I think more and more accessibility will bring bigger diversity into the space. So I sure hope so that this will be introduced, especially for recordings from these panels, because obviously there's a limited amount of people that can attend. It would be worth having some professional material translated online. So I hope there will be more work done towards this.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And not only for events. I think in general, right, when we think about NFTs, when we think about digital art, if you don't speak English and you are incompetent, or, or you can understand it well. It could be super complicated. Uh, the entry barrier is even higher. Right? So yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. And just to finish the the event side, and, and I, I'm asking you about this because before I've seen you many many events uh, previously. So I was wondering, Alex, from the past two three years, which events in your mind were very, for whatever reason, I think those are like the ones people need to go and see in years to come? Which events really like push the boundaries and push like a high bar in general, in terms of digital art? Could be NFTs in general, doesn't it be art? So in general, NFTs, which events would you recommend people to assist, to go to in the future?
0: (sighs) This is a very tough question. I think you have to understand what is your goal? So if I'm a collector and I want to discover new art, or if I'm someone working in a gallery and I want to see examples of installations and best curatorial practices, or I'm an artist looking to break in, it might be a different example. I think it is important for people to understand where sort of like like the base lies. Ars Electronica was one of the pioneering fairs for arts and technology and even though their narrative has sort of, it's its not directly in line with the space that we are in, um, the history and the curatorial direction that they overtook over the years and is funded by the European Union has been quite impressive and I'm a little bit biased obviously because i worked with them for a couple of years on curation. but um and sam i think from the sort of new experiences it's often about the opportunities to network especially if you're an artist or builder in space so what are the chances you would be able to have conversations with people you're attending to see and i think conferences that are already established in size might be great for you to get a glimpse of someone's lecture and then try to follow up with them but i noticed experiences that are a little bit more secluded is where you get a chance to really connect. So since Seoul was such a distance destination, I was able to have conversations with people that in New York or London, I doubt I would have had access because um, they're usually so busy with being pulled around. Similar like NFT show Europe, we were a little bit more secluded and art was one of the many directions. I think it's very challenging for conferences to try and be everything at once, so I think conferences that have a very strong identity of what they are, like are they a media experience or are they are they there for educational talks, are they bridging connections between people are those that really manage to deliver for all the attendees on that mission yeah yeah, totally yeah
1: I mean the exciting thing is that there are so many events that slowly we are seeing events that seem to be going to continue to, let's call it, operate over the years, right? There are like yearly events. If we think about those that people are traveling to, but there are also uh, galleries, right? Shows, smaller shows that are probably targeting the local local scene. And I, I had a question about that, Alex, because I know you live in London. And it seems like there are many things happening in terms of art in London. And I was wondering, how important or how many events or how many opportunities, uh, just because you're living in such a city with so many things happening in in terms of art, has opened the doors for you. Would you recommend somebody that is taking these past serious and being involved in the art world? Would you recommend them to think about moving to a city that you can find events, that you can find things happening on a week-to-week basis, or you think it's more easy to talk these days? What, what are your thoughts?
0: Honestly, I, I don't think necessarily location matters that much. So my work has mostly been online, I've been working sort of online since I guess 2015-16, where most of the connections happened internationally by just traveling to the locations where something is happening. I think London is definitely a capital, one of the capitals for culture, but in terms of our digital art world, it still sort of has, A lot more room to grow. If I compare to LA, if I compare to New York, even to Paris, we don't have sort of that centralized hub around which the community connects because London itself, it's sort of the identity is very mixed, people from all over the world, and we have certain organizations that sort of, I'm a part of London leaving Web3 that we stick together and we sort of like organize host events and we try to bring more inclusivity. We have Proof of People happened last year, like two, three years back, we launched NFT London as a community effort, and then NFT NYC came and launched NFT London. So that just shows that it was actually someone from like the team from us came and launched NFT London on a bigger scale. So it just shows that right now, I wouldn't say there's sort of like that center that pulls all of us together there's a grow and i think living absolutely anywhere if you have the opportunity to a you'll save money because london is very difficult to sort of live like i've lived here for 13 years it's my home obviously i can't move to ukraine right now so i'm stuck here but it, it has been becoming more and more difficult and I know many people live in more remote locations, they save a lot of money on rent, but they travel to conferences and they meet more people than I do because they're just, they use that money to travel. Um, and I think when you travel and you meet at specific events, for example, if you're into generative arts, you go to Marfa, if you're more into DeFi, you go to sort of like ECC in paris or you would go to singapore and then that's where you really meet people that are in your line of work and then you just continue building those relationships online that's where most of the meetings happen that's nice. yeah that
1: makes makes a lot of sense um and you tell us a bit alex how, how did you get involved in the art world because i know you have been uh, doing things related to art from a long time before web started in the whole evil art called it revolution started so you were someone that was already involved in the art world can you tell us how that started and what were your first steps
0: that's a long story <laughs> art was always big in our family my dad would go and like support emerging artists from university a couple hundred bucks to buy a piece or help them like create a piece so I, I, I grew up around studios and In university, I thought that economics and politics is a good degree, but by the end of my studies, I was missing creativity. So I wrote my dissertation on photography Mm -hmm. and how photography can be used to influence social change. So the image, the context, propaganda, all of these different things I studied and I was fascinated how the dissemination of content can have such an impact on the society. And ever since then, I sort of worked towards being able to get a master's degree and I picked Sotheby's because it felt like the best way to switch my career from something more structured, like consulting, into a world of arts and business. I I didn't want to study art history. To me, I wanted to be part of the change. I saw how music sort of changed. I saw how um, books were changed by Amazon. And I really thought there's room for um, technology to influence change in art. And quickly after my master's, after trying myself in the art world, I I realized I want to work in a place where I can be agile, where there's room for growth and and where we're solving problems. We're not just reinstating the existing gatekeeping practices. And so it was 2016 that I got an opportunity to join, literally like a team of two people with a couple of consultants, uh, which was the arts at the time. And they purchased the rights to essentially issue to the art domain names. So the same way as there's.com org we were bringing to the market dot art, and we had to first price the English language to understand what would contemporary art or business dot art uh, as. And then um, we sort of exposed to different areas of the art world, beginning with sort of like deviant art creators to museum directors to influencers to kickstarter like to 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 absolutely all the different aspects um i had this of interviews with old master dealers or i'd have interviews with contemporary gallery owners and through this experience over the years i spent five years there i've gained an understanding what are some of the challenges for different areas of the art world to go more digital to strengthen their digital presence and essentially my job was to work through their issues in in the industry they are and see how can being more present online, being more digital savvy solve that. And throughout these years, naturally, digital artists were those that understood digital the most. So we, like the company and the founder made the wise decision to support that direction. And we were the first sort of to sponsor the Contemporary and Digital Arts Fair in 2017 that took place in New York, uh, Kadaf. And that's when the Winklevoss twins bought their CryptoPunks. And that's where a lot of history started sort of ramping up. And after that, sort of, we continue to support Rhizome 7-on-7 7 7 conference, which was another conference combining technologists and artists. Um, then we started partnership with Arts Electronica, we issued digital innovation and arts awards, and as the head of partnerships, I oversaw many of these initiatives and I was directly involved working, like talking to Rafael Rosendahl at one of the events, sort of learning from him, or speaking to like GIFI co-founders and seeing What is happening in the industry? How is it ramping up? And it wasn't until 2019 where blockchain started being on the radar. Um, I was my friend's secret Santa party that we were thinking what to give his boss. And we bought um, and we gifted the key as a present, like the, yeah, to claim the Ethereum wallet, to claim the gift. I don't think that person got that, but I'm sure he was showing off later. When the NFT boom happened, that he had yeah. an NFT since 2019, They're but sort of that stories. was
1: my first. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Nice, nice.
0: And that was sort of like so that that happened, and then maybe it was like 2020. I minted my own piece just to like understand how it works, and then slowly, slowly, I started being invited for all these different talks. Like I think it was 2020 when I gave my first talk about blockchain and NFTs, and then 2021 things just
1: Blew up. Yeah, blew up. Right. That's super exciting fact. I mean, I have multiple questions now, but let me start. And This is something that I I had a guest, Francisco Farr, and I think it was the second episode. And we were chatting about having a career in art and the education part. And he was telling us his perspective on how it helped him. Uh, he went to her and he, he had the chance to do his thesis. Uh, very popular architect. So in your case, Alex, I mean, you went to Sotheby's, and this was many years ago. In this case, you're not not really, I mean, you have created art, right? we, We will talk about that. But you are doing other things, right? You are leading partnerships. You're also curating shows. So for those that are interested in doing something in the art world, how relevant or how much did you learn? Would you say it's worth it to go to one of these masters or one of these schools to learn about art and to be a professional art? Uh, do you think that helped you? What was your experience with so and Bees, what you learned there?
0: That's a tough question. I think any masters, first and foremost, you're going for the network, let's be honest. And I think people sort of in um, a lot of people studying with me, they had greater access to opportunities than I had. And many of them went down the traditional route of having a gallery or working for a big gallery or working for an auction house. And this was the lifestyle that felt stable. Um, I think for me, it was really good to understand systematically how things work because I think uh, it's certainly a foundation to understand bigger processes especially when people are be- like opening different platforms and they don't have previous art business experience they can run into some issues that over the centuries were already you know tested but at the same time I think I had enough of a flexible mind when you sort of like grow up at the fall of the Soviet Union and you had the whole system changes and you w- you're in this like entrepreneurial evolutionary mindset. So I I was ready to take what I learned and break it and be ready to adapt. And I think anyone with that mindset has to understand that what they teach you and real life is very different. Like the number one lesson they taught us was artists don't sell through auctions on primary markets. And the number one selling model for all of the marketplaces right now is an auction model. So like, what are we doing? We're inflating prices for artists, which are unsustainable over the long run, but you can make the most money from a single piece, you know? So all of these different failures over time that they taught us, and then I'm looking at this and I'm like, wait, 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 this is not how it's supposed to be. And the answer is somewhere in between. So I think for me, it kind of like worked out because it served as my moral compass over the years to sort of like be like okay i know that this is how it's done this is our assumption let's test it out i'm not sure if right now for someone who wants to work in the sort of like in the art world if you like if you if you can afford to take a year of your life and you really want to change your career it's great but if you want to work in web3 and like with sort of digital arts it's very different because we're at the end of the day, most of the artists that are very successful right now, they wouldn't be represented by a gallery five years ago. This is a new wave of culture. And I'm I'm afraid a lot of people who come from that traditional background, they still fail to understand how sort of like some things work. And they still try to apply only the old principles without embracing the new principles. And I think the answer has to always be somewhere in between. You you have to understand both worlds if you want to be that bridge, not just one of them. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's very insightful. And what would you say is the main difference, Alex? You, you mentioned, I mean, your example was great about the auctions, which is the Dutch auctions. Right? I mean, just having 1,000 pieces of series is crazy. We think about the traditional art world when we see what we can do with generative art and this algorithm creating thousands of pieces and then all of those going through an, a Dutch auction mm-hmm. yeah i can see how that's not happening in the traditional art world but <laughs> besides that what would you say is the biggest challenge for those that are in the traditional art world and they are breaking into this digital, this digital space what is the biggest the most challenging part of
0: doing that i think I don't know how politically correct I should be. Well, okay, the most basic, I think, challenge is being uh, being an extrovert. I We're still early, this is going to change, artists will be represented, but at least in the last two years, it was all about your digital presence. So that's number one. And I think a lot of artists just couldn't be bothered to be socially active this is one of the things. The second thing is there were different metrics that determines the value of a certain piece. And I feel like with NFTs over the last several years, at least, it was heavily about the first impression, especially how viral, how quickly it captures attention, how new it is. So visual components, played an extremely big role and it took us like what two years to start contextualizing some of this art and especially when you see what's happening on art blogs with the new releases they're working harder and harder towards more complex works that might not just have like a nice visual appearance and the but that what, what's great about it is that the collectors also are growing they're uh, more educated. they started reading more about art. they started learning more about art. If you look at La random, like it started as collecting and the top shot now it's a it's it's a whole sort of like educational body for digital arts and generative arts. So I think the collectors and the artists are growing together, and that's beautiful. but we can't just say that the words dank or memes don't exist because this this was sort of what started this whole run. And I think people that just come into the space to suck liquidity out of it and just sell as much as possible is not the actors that are going to bring this to too far. I think we need more actors that are interested in artist representation long term. For example, what Artex Code is doing, they're they're not just consigning artists for a drop. They're actually representing artists. And that's a very different dynamic. Um, because when you're being consigned for a drop, you sell as much as possible and then you say bye. But when you sort of like represent, you're you are vested in the long term success of the artist. And some of the biggest sort of like agents for artists actually get paid by the artists instead of taking a commission from sale. Because that's another incentive to sort of like to have them grow and deliver rather than have a one-off success. So just a couple of thoughts.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. You mentioned uh, you were curating some shows, I think this was before um, the digital revolution, but again, let's call it that way, but you also have been curating shows these days, right? Recently, you had a show in New York with Bitforms Gallery, how did you Got in touch with PitForms, and how was the experience of creating a show like that? I was there and it was great. I think it was next to the signing of Dmitry and book. Um,
0: yeah, the, the signing happens at the show. At
1: the show. Okay, so how was that experience, Alex? Did, did they get in touch with you? Have you worked with them previously? And how did you select the artist? How did you select the artist? And how was it all about? And how long did it take? I have a <laughs>
0: Uh, no, it's beautiful. So I actually know the gallery for a long time. It's been like seven, six, seven years. It was when we were hosting a new museum in New York in 2017. I was leading a project where Detard, uh supported the um, arts and technologists collaboration, where artists had to, over a period of three months, work with technologists on creating something new. So Adi Wagenknecht was there, Cindy Gallup, um, Mike Tyka, and um, Zach Kaplan was the director of Rhizome. Michael O'Connor was the creative director. So all these different people, which are quite OGs, were all part of that project. And I was also doing interviews with all these different artists. And at the time that's where I met Steve. And I introduced him to some of our other partners, like the director of Multimedia Museum in Moscow. And it was just like a gathering of people that are also interested in the same things. And I think over all these years, we continue to foster conversations about the space and everything that's happening. And it wasn't until last year that I saw one museum hosting an all-male show. And I just wrote the blog about, I wanted to highlight women artists working with code. And I wrote an article highlighting, I think started with like 20 and then everyone left comments. So I started increasing, increasing my list and it's like a list of artists now. And that sort of like pushed, it became, it was quite, it went a little bit viral. The, the text. And so I was approached by many different people who wanted to work on projects that highlight sort of like women working with code. And so that's where it really was born that sort of like Bitforms was one of the galleries and we continued to have conversations for another several months about the idea the artists and it was probably 3 months before the show uh, before the show took place that we're like okay we're doing this and i wanted it to be small and i wanted it to be one-on-ones exactly because of that i think oversupply problem that we're facing right now so i wanted it to be not about sales but about the focus and the gallery graciously said like okay we can do that i think it's like mostly sold out anyway the works were just a very like higher quality and each artist highlights its sort of the work they do with AI and codes, but in their own way, because I wanted to bring that diversity of medium and practice within AI to show people that it's not just the buzzwords, there's actually like a whole world, you know, happening of interesting things. And so we had this like almost historical tool sets from starting from helena sarin who her and i think leah were like one of the earliest pioneers and then we had sarah Ridgely, sarah Ludi. i also loved uh we had an interactive piece sarah friend's piece so everyone else, that was like the most popular piece because it was interactive uh maya maya's work it was just such a great and diverse and interactive experience. And I wouldn't change the lineup or add or subtract anyone. Like we've approached, I think only sort of like two artists that sort of like we were not able to consign because it was a bit short notice, but I'm happy that things worked out exactly how they did. It was sort of like meant to be and in the gallery space. It was perfect balance of works. And so the show lasted for two months. I don't think any show these days lasts longer than like a week or two. And this was for two months. So honestly, for a curator was my mission to what I wanna bring to the world and to this space. It was a dream come true and I'm forever grateful to forums for contextualizing the arts and the history and the narratives of all these works. And they were thankful to me because they were like, this is the biggest turnout we've ever had. <laughs> and also the closing coincided with NFT NYC week. Right. So we hosted two events like one was uh, live reading and just like artist tour and the second was the book signing because Helena's piece was in the show so it kind of makes mm-hmm. sense and there was like a line outside of people getting yeah it was
1: there the it was there it took me like 40 minutes
0: uh, <laughs> yeah like it book. was crazy and seeing Manfred Moore come in and just like say hi to everyone i mean i have this like slide on instagram and it's just like all the legends coming in and being so excited we had like people come in and play around with anna maria's piece because it was interactive you could leave your own prompt then we created like a collaborative piece of all these different prompts that people left so he came in with like a tour and then some like other famous artists would come by just people visiting with their kids, kids would leave prompts. And I really love the fact that people were able to communicate with the show and connect with it in a meaningful way.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and by the way, a reminder to anyone that's listening right now in the live stream but also in the podcast, um, the collections all these artists will be added to the description. So if you're looking for some of these artists or some of these collections, you can check the the description of the episode and, and you will find it and alex that's quite interesting i mean it always started from an article you wrote right that's basically how it got started and the advice would you give people because i've seen many people interested in curating right it could be artists it could be collectors how can they get started what's your experience uh what do you tell them how to get started creating
0: anything Um, I get asked this quite a bit, and I'll be honest with you, my goal was not really to sort of like, to be known as a curator or anything. It's just, it was to realize that burning vision inside that I wanted to let out. And so I didn't care. I was like writing articles in my, I started a blog and I would just write articles highlighting artists for like five years and no one probably read it like random internet strangers. But that was my outlet. So I think it's about finding your outlets, finding your channel. So to me, at the time, it was my blog, because I strongly believe in owning your digital property. Like that's going to stick in my head after dot art forever. But it's true. The only thing you really own is your own space on the internet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I extend my domain by many years, because it's mine. And it's not like it's the last thing that will fail on the internet is your own sort of website um because social media platforms are great but don't get too reliant on them <laughs> like there's a new one every day so kello i really like well done for having your own newsletter and producing yeah, the emails
1: content. the emails i mean you mentioned the blog that's very important to you own your domain but also emails right it's it's good because it's a direct contact with uh, your audience and if they That means they want to be part of your journey and they can always unsubscribe if they want to. So yeah, you make a very important point about owning your content. It's not only the art, it's the content you produce. And and yeah, that's a great, great...
0: Yeah, it's like an argument of being on chain. Uh, Make sure this stuff doesn't disappear at some point. But anyway, coming back to giving actual people advice rather than ranting here. Find your channel. and. The reason I joined JOIN is actually because we shared that same vision of empowering creators. So, at first, my role was to support with finding opportunities for open calls, Mm -hmm. and that's how we empowered artists. We would bring these opportunities for them to participate in. But on the other hand, we were also empowering curators of those open calls because we made their life easier by being able to manage hundreds of submissions. But now, what sort of we noticed over the last several months is that it's great you have all this content, but what do you do with it? And we noticed that a lot of people sort of, they do an open call with us, and then they sort of try to figure out what to do with it, how to showcase it. So we built internal tools for showcases, for stories like you published. And honestly, I feel like that's an amazing way for someone to get started with curation, because you make an open call, then you highlight artists. So we're seeing Eric Paul Rhodes is doing his every Friday. We see a lot of artists just independently beginning to write and highlights. And I think the best part is when I was writing my own blog, uploading images with links was such a pain (laughs) that like now I'm just like dropping a link to an NFT and it just shows and it's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's why I used it for the blog about cell. like I think I highlighted like 30 works and it, I just dropped the link I didn't have to like upload the image and add links to the artists the names and um, so, so again if you if you want to curate talk to me uh, if you want to do it through join or also like I see a lot of people just using Twitter as their base because at the end of the day it's about what do you have to say it's. I don't think it's about, you know, if you were invited to curate for the National Gallery or if you were invited to sort of do a group show in someone's basement. What really speaks is, like, what what is the message you're sending? And I think that has to come from the heart. And the best stuff I wrote was when I was actually in pain or anger or inspiration. So, like, feeling strong emotions definitely, like... If you can channel what you're experiencing in life through curation, through storytelling, I think that's a win because a lot of things sort of I did was non-commercial and I continue to a little bit feel uncomfortable curating commercial shows because that's not really a curator's job. That's an art dealer's job. I think. But the commercial commercial shows are those
1: where the pieces are up for sale. Is Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think that we are living in the new era of curator and arts dealer in our Mm -hmm. space. And that's what literally probably will save me if I want to continue doing what I do, is getting paid. Um, Before, I I had this weird thing, like, I don't want to be, you know, paid by the artist or something. But now, what, what, and again, what sort of we use for showcases, it's about... You put a small percentage fee, and if something sells through your curation, you receive a percent. So this is kind of like an organic, uh, where curators are rewarded for sort of like spending their time, investing their energy and soul into this curation. And then artists sort of like rewards the curators for doing that through splitting the fees. So I think, what we build at Join makes it much, much easier because you curate artworks not artists so artists don't have to be sort of like fixated in your curation they can list they don't have to list and also you're not dependent on anyone you can still show works that you don't own or the artist didn't sort of list you just you're not going to get paid <laughs> but you can mix and match so i think offering that flexibility is something that we sort of like aimed for and it gives you a level of independence. So I noticed sort of you do your blind gallery and that's sort of like also a wonderful way for artists discovery.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Join has been... I'm very, very happy with the features that Join has created. For us, I mean, my example with the blind gallery, it helped us do um, open calls. Uh, and this was to select or to get participants so artists that wanted to be in the blind gallery and then the, the blind gallery club voted and kind of curated the artists that they wanted to be in the edition in the exhibition of course it was blind as a concept but yeah well, join made it super easy for us to run such a you know such an open call and now with the new features i think it's a great way to as you said write about the artist write about the exhibition with i mean that embedding embedding the pieces directly into the platform is super helpful it's super it feels very native both as a writer but also as the reader or the spectator or, or the collector because they can find the pieces with one click they can buy it right there in the spot so yeah join for those listening i truly really recommend checking out join as an artist, if you want to participate in some of these open calls, some of these exhibitions, but also as a collector or, as Alex, you said, as a content creator, could be your your outlet she described, and could be your first experience with curating shows. And I think it's a very straightforward process, right? It's not, uh, as you can you can pick artists and art that's already created. You don't need the permission from the artist. Can you explain a bit that process, Alex, of the the selling, I think they need to uh, accept that it needs to be sold or listed. Am I right? The listing part where they need the
0: permission. So basically as a curator, you select any artwork that's available out there on any platform, whether on join or other marketplace, and you're able to add it to your curation and they, don't have to be listed for sale. So if you can just import a gallery, add texts, add supporting images or videos, and just talk about these NFTs that you really like. This is one way. And then another way is in your interface, you can also add a curatorial fee. And if you add that curatorial fee, then the artist's wallets, which are added to your curation, if they log in on join, they'll receive a notification to list the piece. And if that listing is sold through your showcase, you will receive the curator fee that you inputted. So it can be primary works. It can be secondary works. It can be works owned by other collectors. It can be new works minted by artists. Artists can mint on manifold, foundation, maker's place, and then list it directly on join into your showcase.
1: Yeah, that sounds super, super exciting. And we are getting close to the hour, Alex. So, One last question, which is something that I, I mean, it's a tough question, but I like to ask it to all the guests, which is uh, for, I would say the emerging, three emerging artists that you're excited about these days.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) You know, I'm going to use this opportunity to promote something that sort of like. We had a little team working towards. I just reposted. We have People of Tezos auction this evening, which features 26 artists. It's actually a highlight on the object curation page right now. It's 26 artists. Um, Emerging, established, I don't know, we're only two years in, so I think it's, we're all emerging at this point. But some of them have been around for a very long time. So you have big names there, but you also have names that maybe you have not heard before. The price point to start, it's only 20 Tezos. So there's no hurt in being part of this bidding war for some of them. And I think that's a beautiful showcase. I was browsing the experience in here and now, and I was just looking at the collection and objects. And I love so many of them, because I think art is self portraits. It's a practice that dates centuries. And I love the fact that we're continuing this tradition up until now. And it's something that connects us with the past and present. And for the artists to capture their essence in self portrait is absolutely beautiful. So I think that's my little show moment.
1: Nice. <laughs> that's uh, great to hear. Yeah. And Alex, what about the. AI portraits. You made some very cool portraits, and you use AI. And I mean, you have been around for a while. You, you also—that's uh, what I mentioned early on—that you created some art. And and this series, Alex, what was your your experience like putting yourself in the shoes of the artist and the reception that you got from that series? What was what were your thoughts? And is it something that you? will probably keep doing in the future? What's the status of the AI portrait series?
0: It's a very scary question. I'll be honest with you, I was making digital art since I was 12. So I've been experimenting in Photoshop, I've been doing a lot of sort of also traditional collage. I studied photography when I was 14 in the workshop. So it art has always been part of my life. And I I took it in school, I did IB arts, but I was always scared to call myself an artist because to me, it was something very sort of like sacred. It felt like you have to starve on the streets and like not have a job and that's all you do is be an artist. And so to me, I was like, oh my God, I can't call myself an artist. I'm not. And then in 2020, I started experimenting in, with mincing. So I was mincing probably earlier than most sort of artists in, in the space right now. And I was playing with AI since 2019. So a lot of people don't know that I have a history. I was mm-hmm. just really, really, really shy to talk about it. And I never felt the confidence to call myself an artist. I had a show in Paris at the Vance Gallery. I was part of the Trash Arts Grabology Retrospective. So when I sort of accidentally started doing these things, it happened really suddenly i was minting on tezos since like march 2021 as well but these portraits they grabbed attention so first i offered them for free i just wanted people's portraits to for like for people to share their portraits so i can practice but then there were a lot of them so i was like hmm maybe i should mint and i asked people like should i mint these and 99 said yes <laughs> And so i started minting them and then people were buying them and i'm like oh my god what is happening? And all of a sudden, I catch myself with a list of 50 people, people DMing me, asking I, I, me, I like, one of
1: those.
0: you were one of them, Artgnome, Ivona, like, everyone was DMing me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? <laughs> and so I started making them and um, people were extremely supportive. I think, I think only a few were a bit I don't know. I was surprised that some of my closest people weren't as supportive. They thought that I'm like asking all these famous people if I can draw them. But in reality, I never asked anyone. I was just catching up with all the requests. And so it kind of made me realize I felt like this space is supposed to be about liberation and everyone being able to be calling themselves an artist. But some people in this space who say they understand it, they didn't realize that this is the freedom we've all been fighting for. For them, it was about like, no, this is still not right. So I'm still sort of like on the fence about like claiming I'm an artist because let's be honest, I spent 10 years building stuff, Mm -hmm. but I like the freedom it gives me because it's extremely therapeutic and I was able to connect on a personal level with everyone behind the portraits. We talked about their life. We talked about their story. We worked through different iterations and like Yazid never showed his face before and no one knew that he's actually a banker in real life or like, well, banker like works in the bank. And so I was able to bring to life all these different people. And that has been a joy. And I was invited to be exhibited. I'm part of a group show later this fall. Yeah, I just
1: missed the the show that you will be exhibited at. Where is that? Oh,
0: um, I can't share it just yet. Yeah, it's soon. It's, soon. it's going to be soon. Yeah, okay. it's going to be announced soon.
1: All right. Well, Alex, it has been amazing. Thanks so much for sharing all your knowledge and your path. I, I, I mean, I. think you're one of those that is very well connected in the space and knows what's happening. And I think people will learn a lot from you from all angles that you use describe. And hopefully I, I see you again soon in the show, in the future.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for hosting me. And I really appreciate, and I see you grow over the years. And I'm really happy to see you're sort of like continuing, sharing so many interesting stories and information. So thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, thanks a lot, and thanks for everybody that tuned in. And remember if you tune in late, I'll share this through my podcast so you can you can find it at Carlo.xyz and replay all the episodes. So thanks so much, Alex, and talk thanks. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
0: Bye.